What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a new episode of Chargers Weekly. We're here in June, and during this slow month, what we want to do is get you up to date on what the Chargers rivals are doing in the AFC West. So each of the next three episodes dedicated to the Raiders and Broncos, and today, the Kansas City Chiefs. Nate Taylor of The Athletic going to join me, break down the Chiefs offseason, what they did in free agency, the draft, and an outlook for 2020. So let's get right to it. Know your rivals, Kansas City Chiefs. All right, very pleased to bring in Nate Taylor of The Athletic, covers the Kansas City Chiefs. Nate, it's a pleasure, my man. How are you? Good, good. Doing well. Thank you, Chris. It's uh, it's hot here in Kansas City, much like is everywhere it? else. It is. It's blazing. It's already like 90 degrees today. So we're fully, I guess, in summer, and uh, it's good to be chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate your time, and, and I want to get into the Chiefs. But before we get into football, you could probably use a lot of different adjectives to describe the last few months in our country. First, how are you and your family doing? And, and what have the last few months been like for you as a as a football reporter and just a human being? Yeah, it's been challenging for sure. Um, but I think hopefully there's some good that's going to come out of it maybe weeks, months from now. But yeah, I mean, what's odd for me as an NFL writer is the idea that, you know, once we get into the offseason, it's very chaotic, right? You go from the Super Bowl to the draft to the combine to OTAs. Just to know that I haven't traveled in <laughs> upwards of three months now is pretty crazy. Um, you know, my family, thankfully, has done pretty well with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, it's been sad to watch, you know, people that I'm somewhat connected to have their family members, uh, whether it be impacted in terms of contracting the virus or ultimately dying from it. Um, and then, you know, with everything that's going on now, you know, as of June 6th with the protests, the understanding of what everybody has mostly seen on video with George Floyd's death, the way it's impacted the league just because of the symbolism behind how George Floyd was murdered with the understanding four years ago, um, how Colin Kaepernick and talking to someone of, you know, military service said that, you know, one of the best ways to peacefully protest during the national anthem was to take a knee. So it's been um, a unique time. I've never uh, been a part of anything like this as a professional. You know, this dates back all the way to the 60s in terms of some of the nationwide protests. Obviously, we haven't had a pandemic in over a century. Yeah. Uh, so it's unusual um, to, to use your job in a different manner. But we're still trying to inform uh, our subscribers as best we can at The Athletic Chill, trying to get them an understanding of what the league's going to do, what teams specifically have done, and obviously keep track of how all that's going to impact the 2020 season as well. Yeah, you guys have done some really impactful, powerful journalism uh, the last couple of weeks specifically. And, and you talk about that video uh, with the NFL players. Obviously, the face of the league right now is Patrick Mahomes. He was the face of that video. And Tyron Matthew, uh, another Kansas City Chief, I think a day later, the Chiefs came out in support of that video. And then you saw the commissioner the following day. So yep. a, a lot of positive momentum. Uh, what was your reaction to the, those 48 hours where you see the player video and then you see the NFL come out in support of its players? Yeah, so, so let's start on, on Thursday, right? I mean, basically everybody understands that they're not thrilled with the league's initial statement, which was uh, the Saturday following the week of George Floyd's death. And so um, what we've done at The Athletic and what I would encourage your audience, Chris, is to go check out our website or our app. And it's a story by Jordan Rodriguez and Lindsey Jones, yes. uh, two of our best NFL writers, 
to explain why, you know, players, employees, and content creators at the league level basically decided to go rogue in a lot of ways to promote this video, to put it together, and to have players have a more powerful, impactful voice. And so in terms of, you know, Michael Thomas getting the guys together, and then for Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew, obviously two of the biggest stars on the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, to, you know, include themselves in it. And for the way the video is constructed, I think is really well done. But the first player to say Black Lives Matter in the video is Patrick Mahomes, essentially the face of the league, the league's brightest star, uh, obviously the youngest quarterback to win the league MVP and Super Bowl MVP in, you know, essentially before his fourth season begins. And because of the rallying cry from the players, because they understand the, the moment in time, the fact that they want to honor Colin Kaepernick in that particular way to suggest that they're probably going to protest when the 2020 season starts in terms of a lot of the, you know, sort of the reporters and a lot of the other, you know, athletes that I've talked to in the league, it, it, I'm getting a sense that there's going to be protests of some kind uh, when we get to the 2020 season, whenever that does start. But because Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew were willing to put their voices out there to use their platform for what they believe uh, to be a just cause in terms of injustice towards African-Americans, whether it be police brutality or just systemic racism. And then it was, I think, equally powerful that because of that video and because of the discussion involved in the league, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, talked with the other 32 owners and basically was willing to admit that the league got it wrong four years ago, that the league wants to be an ally for the players. It also wants to be a part of the solution to some of America's biggest ills. And what is a league without its players, right? And I think that's what the NFL has started to understand, that they need to empower the players just as much as the players. You know, build up the brand of the league, obviously draw a ton of eyeballs in terms of entertainment factors, but they can obviously do more in their community, and Roger Goodell sort of alluded to that. And so it'll be interesting to see what moves forward now. Can the players in the league work side-by-side, hand-in-hand, in a way that they didn't maybe three or four years ago And the first step was the players doing what they did on Thursday night and then Roger Goodell sort of responding and saying word for word what they wanted him to say 24 hours later on Friday. So it'll be be fascinating to see. From a Chiefs perspective, there's this. Um, Before Patrick Mahomes put out his statement originally on the Monday, you know, sort of a week ago from today, before the Chiefs came out with their statement where they essentially said that the murders of, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor – and uh, Aubrey Ashan were, you know, sort of senseless murders. Uh, Clark Hunt's wife, Tavia Hunt, has been speaking publicly about this on her Instagram account to sort of suggest that, that you know, this is injustice. Uh, I agree with our players. And so Clark Hunt, you know, authorized them to make a statement that was pretty, was pretty strong compared to some of the other statements across the league from other teams. Uh, and so what you're seeing from the Chiefs standpoint is unity. And I think we're seeing more and more of that across teams in the league whether it's Anthony Lynn with the Chargers, whether it's Brian Flores with the Dolphins. Obviously, we saw the protests that both the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars did over the weekend. So from the Chiefs standpoint, it comes down to the owners, it comes to the players, and ultimately, I think what a lot of these guys want to see is everybody do some good, whether it's donating resources, whether it's doing more uh, police work with the community to get a better understanding of both sides. Uh, this is a pivotal benchmark moment in American history, and the NFL is a part of it. No question. It's one thing to put out words and statements. It's another thing to actually 
put actionable steps towards something positive. And uh, I agree. I, I think you're seeing it throughout the league. The Broncos had their protest. Uh, Coach Lynn had a, a, a very powerful Q&A with LZ Granderson, the LA yeah. Times. And you're seeing that in some form or fashion with the team. So all you can hope is, is you keep it going and you, you don't stop, right? You keep having these, these actionable steps as we get closer to the season. And they speaking of the season, um, it has been a, a wild all season because there really hasn't been one. It's been more of a virtual program. We, uh, did, we, we did have a draft. That's all we, we did. We did have a draft. We had a draft. There's been some Zoom meetings. Uh, there's been some, uh, some off-season OTA Zoom meetings. Uh, but for, from a Chiefs perspective, obviously the Super Bowl champs, 12-4 uh, and four each of the last two seasons. What do you think has been the most impactful free agent signing? Because largely, Nate, this team is intact. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing was that, you know, after the, the you know, after you have the celebratory parade, after you have the idea of like, okay, we can, everybody can kind of exhale from a fan perspective and even for someone like me, okay, what does 2020 look like? The initial thought process was, man, how are they going to keep this core together? And Patrick Mahomes has been very clear even the day after the Super Bowl saying that, hey, because we've won it now, let's, let's do it again. Let's, let's try to keep as many guys back. And so the biggest sort of piece in all of this is the team had to decide whether they were going to keep Chris Jones, the talented defensive tackle, um, who's been really impactful for them the last four seasons. Uh, obviously, he was a second-round draft pick. They franchise-tagged him and are, I'm assuming, in the next coming days and weeks, going to try to figure out a long-term extension with him. But he'll be a pivotal moment into how their offseason grade goes, per se. Like, if it's an, if it's an A – that obviously means you keep Chris Jones. You maybe sign him to a long-term deal. Patrick Mahomes is up to make maybe the, the biggest contract in NFL history because the league and the team has sort of suggested that, hey, we want to get this deal done um, before you ever play another snap in the NFL just because of what he's accomplished already. But they were able to restructure the deal with Sammy Watkins. Um, interestingly enough, I think a lot of people thought they were going to go defense early in the draft. Instead, they went with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, a talented running back out of LSU. They added some defensive players towards the back end of the draft, primarily at the cornerback position. So it's interesting to see, like, you know, can the team basically keep its core and replicate what they did in 2019? Because as you well know, Chris, you know, the league is going through its longest stretch of its history, 15 years now, where no champion has repeated. So the challenge will be extra challenging for the Chiefs. It'll be a major test for them moving forward. Obviously, they have the pieces to be competitive. But I think the division got a lot better, particularly in the AFC West. Obviously, yeah. we know that what the Chargers did in terms of solidifying their offensive line, their secondary is going to be much better than it was a year ago with adding Chris Harris Jr. Uh, I'm eager to see when Justin Herbert, how his sort of progression goes along for the Chargers. But I think for Charger fans, I think they are the biggest threat right now to the Chiefs if I had to look forward to the 2020 season, again, whenever that starts. Because the Chargers, at least the last two years, have been the biggest and toughest opponent for the Chiefs in the AFC West. Obviously, they were the last team in the AFC West to defeat the Chiefs back in 2018. But the two games last year were fairly close, obviously the game in Mexico City. And I think the way the Chargers are building themselves uh, at the moment, I'm really impressed with what they've done so far. And obviously, we know they have a pretty good and talented coach in Anthony Lynn. So for the Chiefs, a lot of it is can they stay healthy? Can they be as hungry and as have as much of a desire as they had a year ago in trying to achieve being champions and how much can they defend the AFC West because in order to get that top seed in the AFC playoff standings 
you're going to have to be as dominant as they've been in recent memory against AFC West opponents. All right, guys, a quick break to let you know that during this unprecedented time, Select Physical Therapy is focused on patient safety. Their centers remain open and offer a clean, safe environment for you to receive rehabilitation services. You don't need a doctor's referral to begin care, and they now also offer tele-rehab. You can easily connect with a licensed therapist through web-based technology that is HIPAA compliant right from the comfort of your home. Select Physical Therapy is a preferred sports rehabilitation provider for the LA Chargers. Visit selectphysicaltherapy.com to schedule an appointment today. All right, let's get back to Nate Taylor of The Athletic. Nate, that's what's interesting to me about the division because uh, I think the Broncos and Raiders are trying to say, okay, well, let's try to score with the Chiefs, right? Let's try to get some weapons and, and Judy and Sutton and, and mm-hmm. Noah Fan and, and the Raiders <laughs> getting all these receivers and, and trying to load up on offense with Henry Ruggs. I think the Chargers are taking maybe a, a different approach in that, like, okay, it's like any NBA team trying to say, let's try to outscore the Golden State Warriors <laughs> in their prime, right? It's like, right, let's, right, let's see if we can right. find a way to slow them down. And I, I think right. when you bring in guys like Derwin James, Chris Harris Jr., Casey Hayward, you got those those guys up front in, in Bosa and Ingram. You bring in Kenneth Murray. It's, I'm not saying that's the, the remedy to, to stop the Chiefs, but I, but I think that the Chargers are, are building a defense that uh, can slow teams down. And then on offense, with no Phillip Rivers, looks like Tyrod Taylor is going to be the guy this year. And one of the mm-hmm. things that Tyrod does so well is he takes care of the football, something right. the Chargers were not able to do last year. So with all those things coming together, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Chargers look like. Do they look like the team from two years ago where they won 12 games? like the Chiefs um, versus last year where they only won five and they, they couldn't get the ball and they turned it over just too much. Yeah, I, I, I really, I think the, you know, in some ways the Chargers may be flying under the radar in terms of like how the season may play out just because of all the things you mentioned. It's more, it's more appealing uh, to talk about, hey, they got all these new offensive players around. But you're right if, you know, obviously Lynn is a good coach. He will understand how to scheme up things to help the Chargers. Um, you know, Tyrod is obviously a proven quarterback who's been to Pro Bowls, who's taken teams to the playoffs before, primarily with the Buffalo Bills. So he's capable to get you to 10, maybe 11 wins if the season plays out the way you hope. Obviously, everybody's got to stay healthy. But yeah, like, I think in a lot of ways, the Chargers are able to play with the Chiefs in terms of making it difficult for them to go down the field. So much of the Chiefs' offense is about explosive plays and deep shots with Mahomes to either Tyree Kill or McCole Harbin or Sammy Watkins. But the Chargers last year played really good cover three defense, kept everything in front of them, and forced the Chiefs to march down the field over these long, sustaining drives. And that's just not what that offense is, is sort of accustomed to. So I'm eager to see particularly how the schedule comes out, right? The Chiefs' schedule is pretty hard at the beginning. When these two teams meet, will the, will the Chargers be sort of – up there with them in the divisional race. Uh, will those two games be just as impactful as they've been the last couple of years? Because everybody sort of forgets that, yes, the, the Chiefs did go to the AFC Championship game in 2019. Yes, they won the Super Bowl. But the Chargers had the same record as them in 2018 with the 12-4 and record. So it's not, it's not hard for me to think that they can have a bounce back year after a disappointing season last year uh, coming off sort of their, their impressive playoff run to get to the divisional round. 
And Nate, it's right off the bat that the Chiefs are going to be the first opponent for the Chargers at SoFi Stadium in week two. So we're going to see that early. It's going to be a, a yep. fascinating test for both teams. And then week 17, similar to last year, the, the Chargers have to go to Arrowhead on January 3rd. So uh, that's going to be fascinating. And I, I look at the Chiefs long term. Nate, we all expect Patrick Mahomes is going to get that that record-setting contract. Uh, with the uncertainty this year, especially with, with what the cap is going to look like next year, how do you think that will affect the Chiefs' ability to retain some of these guys that, that they want to retain? And um, and how important is it that these rookies like Edward Dallaire and, and uh, yeah. guys like Willie Gay, they, they, they pop so you have them on kind of cost-controlled deals? Yeah, from this moment on, as early as, you know, a, a month and a half ago, right, I said that this draft was just as pivotal as the 2017 draft when the Chiefs moved up 17 spots to get Patrick Mahomes, right? From this moment on, because we assume, and I think you're right, Chris, that Patrick Mahomes is going to get this deal done before training camp or sometime in the middle of training camp, uh, depending on where we are from a scheduling standpoint, whenever that deal gets done, the Chiefs need to draft well from about that moment on for the next four to five years because yeah. – so unfortunately for Chiefs fans, and this may help Charger fans, I don't think, you know, guys like Sammy Watkins are going to come back after this year. It's going to be hard for Chris Jones to get a deal done if it doesn't get done this summer. So if he's playing on the franchise tag, he may find uh, more money at another team. Uh, there's going to be veteran guys all over the place, whether that's, you know, Mitchell Schwartz, who's one of the best right tackles in the league. Eric Fisher is coming off the end of his, of his deal. Um, even somebody like a veteran like Anthony Hitchens, I mean, how many years will he play with the Chiefs? Is he going to play this year, maybe next year, and be moved on? So at some point, the Chiefs are going to need a more of an inf uh, influx of young talent. And so for Clyde Edwards, a layer, you know, Willie Gay Jr., who is a speedy linebacker, but, you know, he only played five games last year in college because of some NCAA violations. We'll see how he quickly adjusts to the NFL. They have some, some promise in Lucas Niang who was a tackle in college who may play guard to start his career before flexing out whenever, you know, maybe Mitchell Schwartz or Eric Fisher move on. So really it's going to be a lot of the pressure upon Patrick Mahomes and some of these other young guys, maybe like McCole Hardman, to sort of keep the team basically where they are at the top of the league in terms of, you know, seniority types of talent. But this is really – you know, in some ways, the Chiefs' last years of this sort of core together. They've played two years now where they put all this talent around Patrick Mahomes who just sort of seemingly came into the league and took off. But this is pretty much the end of their three-year window before they're going to have to reinvent themselves after the 2020 season. Uh, we know all these offensive weapons that, that the Chiefs have, and, and Tyree Kill and Kelsey and Hardman and now Edwards-Alaire. Uh, defensively, we talk about Chris Jones, 24 and a half sacks the last two seasons. What about the back end? I think you lose Kendall Fuller back to yep. the Redskins. Bashad Breland comes back. But what do you make of the, the Chiefs' secondary in 2020? Um, and how do you think the team adjusted with Steve Spagnuolo as a defensive coordinator last season? Yeah, yeah, Chris, it's so important that you mean, mention Steve Spagnuolo because I think he takes just as much credit as Tyron Matthew and the rest of the back end because somehow towards the second half of the season, they sort of figured out what can the secondary do well and what can the secondary not do well and just don't ever do that again. <laughs> Trial and error. Yeah, it, 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 so much of it is. And I think that's what's going to happen this year again, right? They're going to come into sort of, sort of the same situation. So you have Tyron Matthew, and he's great, and he can do a number of things, whether that's playing in the slot position 
where Kendall Fuller was when he got injured or playing the back end. But look, they have, you know, a really sensational player in Juan Thornhill. The only issue is, was in the season finale last year against the Chargers, he suffered an ACL injury. And so he was done for the playoffs. We have not seen him obviously on the field. We know he's rehabbing, but it's going to take him a while to get sort of readjusted and get fully healthy, I think, coming off that ACL injury. So that's one safety that you have to figure out. You know, you mentioned Rashad Breeland. He is coming back on a one-year deal, but he will probably start the year with a suspension. He probably won't play against the Chargers in that week two matchup just because he's already violated the substance abuse policy. And as we've heard last week, or excuse me, last month, he was arrested in South Carolina on possession charges with uh, sort of marijuana. Those are misdemeanor charges. But again, I think he'll probably face some sort of suspension in terms of the league's personal conduct policy. So he may be out for a little bit of time. They have drafted two rookies in both Pete Keys and Lanarius Sneed, uh, but none of those guys have played in the NFL. So how quickly will they get up to speed? Um, maybe the one constant outside of Tyron Matthew is Charvarius Ward, an undrafted player who's played really well over the last two years, continues to make progressive growth. Um, so maybe he takes at least one side of the field away with Tyron Matthew, but the other side of the secondary is going to be a big question mark because will Dan Sorensen start in place of Juan Thornhill? Will we ask one of these rookies, if you're a Chiefs fan, to replace Brashad Brithen to start off his year and to finish off his suspension? So it'll be complicated. It's a big challenge for Steve Spagnuolo. Getting to the quarterback will help, but when you don't get there, you need somebody to at least be in the picture when the ball arrives on time. And so that's going to be a question for the Chiefs moving forward. It's probably their biggest hole because I think Willie Gay Jr. sort of takes away some of the issues from the linebacking standpoint in terms of speed, the ability to tackle in space, to chase down opponents who have the football on the perimeter. So now maybe the biggest weakness is what happens with the cornerback position and can Juan Thornhill be as healthy and as effective as he was last year as a rookie. Nate, last thing for you, and I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because we've been talking about this a lot here. Uh, this is the case with, I think, all 32 teams. These rookie classes, I think all these rookies oh. are way behind here, and I can't imagine there being a huge impact with, with a lot of them because they haven't seen the right. field yet. They don't know what NFL football is like yet. And to, to not have – an off-season program, a rookie mini camp, a regular mini camp. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these guys are going to be way behind come training camp. What have your conversations been like around the Chiefs with disrespect to the rookies and and that learning curve now this off-season? Yeah, no, it's a great point, Chris. And I think if you're any NFL fan, honestly, um, particularly whether that's looking at somebody in the first couple rounds and saying, hey, I want to add them to my fantasy team. I, I, would, hey, caution pump the brakes. <laughs> I would caution you to not do that. Or if you're going to draft them, draft them sort of late and see if you can stash them for maybe, you know, late October, early November. Because I think, you know, there's not going to be the sensational rookie this year or it's going to be that much bigger of an anomaly if somebody does have ridiculous numbers coming into their rookie season. Because you don't get the, the time on the field, because the coaches can't actually touch you and sort of direct you on your technique, on your where your eyes are supposed to be on the field, particularly on defense, a lot of my conversations with Chiefs coaching staff has been, look, we understand that they, they're smart. They can understand the playbook. But it's another thing to sort of apply that on the field, to see where Patrick Mahomes wants you to be if you're on offense. If you're playing defense, how do you react quickly to your assignments and sort of hand things off in terms to somebody else who's on your teammate. Because a lot of defenses is just, you know, 11 guys moving collectively 
to sort of take options away from the offense. Well, if a rookie doesn't know all the sort of details that are necessary and hasn't had that on-field chemistry with the rest of the veterans, there may be an issue there to start off the year. So it may be a case where offenses sort of take off in September just because the defenses have been, haven't been on the field as much um, in terms of preparing. But I think for rookies themselves, especially with an Andy Reid offense, which is complex and he really doesn't sort of take things away, look at McCole Hartman's stats. He sort of popped because of the play design last year of Andy Reid in September. He sort of tapered off in October, and it didn't really get – to where he was a fully functioning NFL player up until around late November into December and then obviously into the playoffs. So you may see some rookies develop quickly because the coaching staff understands their strengths and they can design plays for them early on. But once more teams see tape, it's going to be harder for those rookies to make a clear, significant impact. So I think for them it's going to be a long process and it's going to be slower than maybe most NFL fans are accustomed to. But hopefully around November or so, everybody's gotten enough practice time. Everybody's gotten adjusted to the speed of the game. You get more used to whether or not there are less fans in the stadiums or no fans in the stadium. You understand how the travel situation is going to go in terms of how the pandemic sort of progresses along. So hopefully by November, rookies along with veterans will get more comfortable to to their surroundings, to their scenarios. But I think for right now, if you're anybody concerned that like, hey, why hasn't this top draft pick done well? week seven just know he didn't have any offseason comparable to any other rookie in NFL history no and my only hope Nate is that I see you week two at SoFi Stadium (laughs) man that's that's what I like but we don't know we even know what training camp's gonna look like yet alone you know week one week two and in preseason but um there's so many variables that go into this um but I I hope I see you week two man you've been so gracious with your time man I I really appreciate it and uh, I wish you and your family all the best as we hopefully get back to some normalcy here soon. Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, football will happen at some point. I'm it's happening. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen. So, so I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I would love to see you along with many of our colleagues that I just haven't seen since really the combine. It's, you know, for anybody who's working at home and, and wants some level of normalcy, hopefully the NFL can provide that. And hopefully, you know, one way or another, we'll all get to see each other very soon. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Nate Taylor for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back later this week with Know Your Rivals, the Las Vegas Raiders with Deshaun Reed of The Athletic. Remember, be sure to subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great day, and until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.